0: And welcome to our Trade Knowledge Matters podcast, our regular podcast on all things connected to trade and broader policies. Today, we want to look at the interaction between trade and climate change and from the particular perspective of African economies. Now, it's difficult to generalize across such a large and diverse set of countries, but nevertheless, a standard narrative has emerged over the last few years concerning the interaction between trade and climate change in Africa. And that standard narrative points out the fact that Africa as a continent has contributed the least to the stock of global emissions and therefore to global warming, less than 3% of global emissions. Uh, Research also indicates that African economies are amongst the most exposed to the effects of climate change. Recent research by the African Development Bank suggests that eastern and western African economies could lose up to 15% of GDP by 2050 as a result of climate change, and seven of the 10 most uh, vulnerable economies are in sub-Saharan Africa. We've also seen that the effects or measures taken to reduce emissions in industrialized countries can have spillover effects on African economies, and the most recent example of that is the carbon border adjustment mechanism proposed by the European Union. There have therefore been repeated calls to support um, African economies as they adapt to climate change and transition to a low carbon uh, emissions pathway. And the most recent example of this is the recent Africa Climate Summit that was held in Nairobi. At the same time, if looking a bit beyond the, the traditional narrative, one thing to emphasize is that Africa as a continent has a huge role to play in helping the global community address climate change. African leaders at uh, the Nairobi Summit were keen to emphasize the country's vast resources in helping a low-carbon transition. The continent also has a large and relatively young labor force. It has abundant sources of renewable energy that have been largely untapped so far, and it has raw materials that are critical inputs into low-emissions technologies, and there are unique ecosystems that provide global ecosystem services. So there are a number of challenges and policy issues arising, and I'm pleased today to welcome two eminent experts to discuss these with me. I'd like to welcome uh, Fatan Agad, who is an expert in climate diplomacy and multilateralism. Until recently, she was the senior advisor on climate diplomacy and geopolitics at the Africa Climate Foundation. And prior to her work with the ACF, she was a senior advisor to the African Union High Representative on future relations with the European Union, and she has experience working with multiple think tanks in Africa, Europe, and with a number of multilateral agencies. Also joining me is Dr. Jody Keane. Jody is a senior research fellow at the ODI in London. She's an experienced trade economist and project manager, and has worked with multiple governments across the developing world to advance trade and development objectives. She leads on trade, climate, and development at ODI, with ongoing research into net zero, green trade measures, and resulting spillovers. Her work has a particular focus on least developed countries, and from 2015 to 2020, Jody served as the economic advisor to the International Trade Policy Unit. the Commonwealth Secretariat. And um, to start off, Faten, looking at the, the recent African Climate Summit, what emerged was a general call for more financial support and positive trade measures, and also a commitment on the part of leaders to, un, uh, to implement various reforms, including regional trading integration. What struck me reading this is that the paradigm, more external support in return for uh, more policy reforms, has been around for a while, in a sense it It's almost business as usual. Now, given that we're trying to break away from business as usual in addressing climate change, are there other bold steps that are needed to help African economies in particular transition to low carbon growth paths and adapt to, to climate change?
1: I think domestic policy reforms alone will not uh, resolve the conundrum that African countries face, certainly not um, on um, issues such as the climate transition. Of course, I think there is a need for more movement on the national policy front. Um, and I think that signalling is important and it remains important. And I think that's really the spirit of of the Nairobi Declaration. I mean, to give you an example... of African countries have identified renewable energy targets in their um, nationally determined contributions, Um, but much needs to be done to translate those targets into concrete plans and policy decisions that outline um, what is actually needed to reach that. That said, the role of international systems, and I think especially trade systems, cannot be downplayed. Um, I think let me take the case of green industrialization, which the... Uh, Nairobi declaration commits to, that uh, green industrialization cannot be done, cannot be turned into a reality without new rules on, for example, technology transfer, TRIPS rules, uh, among others. I think similarly, our uh, greening domestic policies as committed to in Nairobi cannot happen without an overhaul of investment treaties that are, as we speak, um, Waved at countries because they change laws, for instance, on biodiversity. Um, so it becomes a here question of a chicken and egg, um, whereby domestic policy reforms are difficult because of international agreements. And thus that simply limits options eventually or becomes an excuse, let me put it a bit more bluntly, for, for limited external support.
0: Jodie, would you like to um, add to that?
2: Yes, thank you very much. I think I'd very much echo the points of the previous speaker, actually, because when I think about the Africa Climate Summit and I think about the context and, you know, where it came from, the kind of Bridgetown, building on the Bridgetown agenda, uh, the Paris Summit. I mean, when we went into the, the Africa Climate Summit, it was really about trying to change the paradigm. So it was about not a focus on internal domestic policy, but rather the international architecture. You know, it was almost as if, um, President Ruto, you know, at the Paris summit, he was saying, kind of saying, like, "Give us the keys. You know, we can drive. We know what to do. But it's you guys that are are blocking us because the international system, you know, it, it has has got all of these challenges. For example, we don't have, you know, a, a global carbon pricing system. Um, all the rest of it, you know, Kenya is one of, you know, it's already using renewable energy, it could be a a green industrial hub, but we just don't have the international architecture in place to kind of unleash that. So for me, the, the summit was really about trying to, you know, shift the focus from, you know, domestic policy to the international architecture. And it's a bit of a shame that people actually reflect on it as, as being, oh, it's just kind of asking for, you know, the same old old thing. I, because when we went into the summit, it really, really wasn't about that. You know, I did see kind of earlier drafts of the Nairobi Declaration, um, you know, and I could see that in the earlier versions, there was a greater emphasis on carbon pricing, border carbon adjustment mechanism. But in the final document, you know, that's it's not there but you've instead you've still got to focus on emissions levies for example um so i think you know the ambition was there you know at the at the beginning but i guess it's just the you know the real politics and you know the the debt crisis really is you know pretty severe at the moment as well so
0: I think both of you hit upon um, some of the efforts that countries are putting in place to transition towards a low emissions pathway. You both mentioned renewables. Um, Jody, you mentioned Kenya as a potential renewables hub. A lot of people have tried to uh, identify win-win opportunities in terms of low carbon growth and poverty reduction. For example, electrification based on renewables and, and distributed production. And you both then also emphasized that this is not just a question of having an enabling domestic framework, but also having a supportive international architecture. And you highlighted some of the, the main points. So if you want to drill down into some of the, the concrete trade and investment measures that need to be taken to help this, to develop these win-win scenarios, what would they be starting starting with you, Jody.
2: So I think we can already see some innovations, you know, coming from the just energy transition investment plans. And um, so these are getting underway, you know, South Africa and Senegal, for example. So these are pretty innovative, but the kind of role of trade and investment policies within those those plans and those programmes, I think still needs to be very clearly articulated. And I think, you know, if we look at countries like Mozambique, for example, this is where it's, you know, the whole package of trade investment and climate finance, it really does need to come together because you've got, you know, cases like Mozambique that have resources, but um, they're they're unable to develop them for, for various reasons. And countries like the UK have stopped funding overseas fossil fuels and so on. So you've got a kind of restrictive environment you know, on the one hand, but then a lack of, you know, support to develop renewables on the other although we have got these new plans coming that have that have arisen um, but we would like to see more of them and we would like to see the role of trade policy and investment policy more clearly articulated and i think it's also you know we've got to consider the, the you know the the non-tradable aspects of of renewable energies as well and and the cross border implications so at the africa climate summit we did see some important announcements there and countries like Ghana and countries like Nigeria, kind of emphasising these points about cross-border energy supplies. And there, I think it's the link to the AFCFTA, the African Continental Free Trade Agreement, and the, the the protocols there that are going to be really, really important. And I think we shouldn't forget that, you know, it's not only, you know, if we think about trade and, you know, movement of goods and so on, it's also about movement of people and skills. And I think it's that that element that really, we really need to consider also. Thank you. Fata.
1: Yeah, I think I think we need to imagine a different future. And there to open that Pandora box. And I don't think it, it would be out of reach. And let me perhaps give an example of how we can imagine this this new future. By and large, for the last decades, trade has been primarily seen as a transfer of of goods and services from one region of the world to the other, largely North, South. Uh, If I take the case of Africa, it's primarily Africa, Europe, Africa, China, Africa, US. But we've done a very poor job of looking at how do we enable trade within regions themselves as an enabler for international trade. In the case of Africa, and, and I think Jody alluded to it, Um, I think we need to look a bit more at uh, the catalytic impact or catalytic potential of regional power pools. Um, We do have multiple countries. And and in fact, I mean, if if one looks at the Southern Africa power pool, it's currently operating. Um, In fact, some of the uh, exported goods to Europe are powered uh, through that regional power pool. But it remains heavily dependent on coal. And I think efforts to try and um, invest more to green those uh, regional power pools with the ambition eventually to use them as engines... Um, to uh, power industries that are currently dirty, um, uh, to give an example of aluminium, steel, etc. That we green, we need to think of a chain whereby we green the power poles to power green. um, And and that in itself is a a matter of regional regional trade. Um, We use those to also green some of the industries to ensure also a, a, you know, that, some of these carbon emitting industries are also cleaned to be able eventually to sustain international trade capacity of, of African countries. Um, and I think that that is one one of the areas that we need to look into. I think the other one, um, where I do very strongly feel that international trade intersects with intra-regional trade, is the issue around uh, uh, clean technologies. And I look particularly, or I'd like to focus particularly on uh, the production of solar panels. We have across the continent multiple either assembly uh, factories or component manufacturing uh, factories um, for solar panels on the continent. It's been a bit of a struggle to scale it up, partially because of the issue of transfer of technologies, which is where I do strongly feel that international trade comes in, partially because of issues on demand. Um, and, um, and that demand, I think, in some in some countries is, is gearing up, although I think we need to scale it up more in regions where there is limited access to electricity, for instance. Um, but, but that capacity of, of of producing, by enabling more technology transfer, enabling um, investments I think can also be uh, and using as Jody said uh, some regional uh, agreements um, CFTA one of them but also I think if one looks at uh, some agreements within COMESA around for instance standard harmonization on on solar panels um, and I think we need to use these more as levers Because not only does it do, if I take solar panels, not only does it help sort a very fundamental developmental issue related to access to energy, uh, to electricity uh, for the population, but also is is a way to potentially, as a transition, reduce the pressure on some of the energy needs for for some of the industries, um, but hopefully with through the power pools with the ambition to, to transition those into a greener model. So I think we need to reimagine this intersection between international trade, intra-regional trade with very concrete cases, um, and really focus our energy in supporting those.
0: Thanks. And the idea of transitioning energy systems and production processes from dirty to clean one is obviously important in and of itself. It also ties in with another question that's now arisen, which is the imposition of measures like the carbon border adjustment me- mechanism. Because clearly, the more uh, you emit what you call scope one or scope two emissions, the, the more liable you are to to face that. And recent research done by a variety of sources, including ourselves, um, suggests that African countries are particularly exposed to the effects of the CBAM. So focusing on such measures and more generally sort of measures that are taken that have an extraterritorial territorial impact, what are some of the things that can be done by the international community, uh, by partners, by countries themselves to reduce the effects of measures like CBAM on, on African economies? I might start with you, Faten, again.
1: I was at the African Climate Foundation. We did this study jointly with, with LSE that looks at the impact of CBAM on Africa. It was the first study that that deep dived uh, on the uh, impact on Africa. And the conclusion was that at a carbon price of $87 per ton, uh, which is more or less the carbon price or the trading price currently under the ETS, that with that price, we would have, uh, Africa would lose around $25 per annum. And so The impact, and that's relatively conservative, um, a conservative uh, result, in fact, Uh, some other modeling predicts even higher impact. Um, So I think it's not a debate. Uh, CBAM will have an impact on Africa. I think the question is, is how do we mitigate it in a context where uh, Africa receives um, extremely limited investments in um, to allow for the energy transition. I mean, if one looks at the renewable energy investments, we only receive 2% of the global investments. Um, and in a situation where climate finance uh, commitments are not met, in a situation where countries are so heavily indebted that it would be very difficult to drive that transition from within, um, and so, I think the challenge that we have, um, one as Africans, but also as an international community, is how do we ensure that this transition is done responsibly? Uh, not only with the focus on emission reduction, but also want to focus on on the developmental impact. And I think it's not an it, it's not an impossible situation, and um, uh, we have few a few options. I think I think one is that I, I do think, and even though I know the European Commission is resisting uh, resisting this proposal, is that we need to um, open a conversation on a, a longer transition period um, for historically low emitting countries and 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 currently low emitting countries. Because I think if I say historically low emitting, people will get nervous that China will come into that basket. But even currently low emitting uh, countries and um, provide them with a longer transition period than three years. I've been speaking over the last uh, year, year and a half to multiple um, countries, industry uh, leaders Um, banks supporting the industries to transition. And there's one single message that's coming out, which is that African countries or African industries will absolutely, under no condition as we have it today, be ready um, for the full entry into force of the CBAM. So one, we need to consider, I think, a longer transition period. Um, I think combined with that, we need to look at measures such as adjustment finance, um, we have done it under the continental free trade area, under the CFTA. Um, Africs and Bank has, for instance, set up a fund, a, a CFTA a transition fund um, uh, that looks at, what is it called? Tradition adjustment fund. I think that's the correct wording. Um, that recognizes that some african countries will be negatively impacted by the entry into force of the cfta and as a result there's a fund there to cushion that negative impact for those that would be negatively impacted and i think we need to look at such a model for for the cbam i think the advantage of such model is that it will allow us to focus a bit more on um focus some of the uh, financing on these kind of transitions, um, and allow it to be much more targeted for specific uh, for specific regions in the spirit of a just transition. And I think the last one, I think we need to um, seriously, of course, look at increasing um, climate finance. And I think it's there where some of the infrastructure financing becomes extremely green infrastructure financing issues become extremely important.
0: Thank you. Jodie, would you like to address any of those points?
1: Thank you. Yes, I'd
2: just like to take a little bit of a, a step back, um, if you if you like. And, um, you know, just to think about, you know, the development of carbon markets and the you kind of the context of the carbon border adjustment me- mechanism. Because, of course, it's been, you know, a very, very long time coming. Um, and, you know, it's it's come at a time when we're still lacking a kind of international framework for global carbon markets and actually at COP twenty eight, the forthcoming COP, you know, the some of the items under discussion there are under Article Six and you know the international framework for carbon markets and trying to secure high integrity um, carbon markets. And um, you know, I think when we, we we get focused on the carbon border adjustment mechanism and the EU CBAM, we lose sight of this bigger kind of aspect of, of carbon markets um, that is still yet to be you know, completely shored up. Um, and it is important because, you know, under the Kyoto Protocol, we had the clean development mechanism previously. You know, there was carbon trading, and, you know, countries like China and India were very big beneficiaries of that mechanism at the time. So, looking ahead, you know, I think it is really important that Africa, you know, is able to position itself so that it is able to benefit from this future global carbon market under Article 6. And this is kind of where the Africa Climate Summit and the positioning of, of Kenya um, with regards to its you know, formidable uh, potential to provide carbon capture and storage. You know, it's got a very big, um, large interest there. When we think about the CBAM, we should be thinking about, you know, the the development of equivalent mechanisms. So, you know, countries can, instead of transferring resources to the EU, you know, countries could have their own mechanisms, their own um, internal, um, you know, cap and trade, the internal systems, whereas the resources are not transferred to the EU, but they're they're actually used to support, you know, the green transition um, domestically. So this is where, you know, we've been, ODI, we've had a kind of series of blogs on this, just saying that there's need for more clarity in terms of the support that the European Commission is willing to provide because in the past it has provided a lot of support to countries like china on the development of its of its um, uh, carbon market so you know i think it is you know kind of africa's turn it's Africa's time you know to really position itself there Um, and to think about the design of equivalent systems to think about you know the role of the intra-African kind of trade and investment frameworks there um, as well and how this could all come together Um, because you know it is worrying you know if we think in in the future once the CBAM really kicks in you know that the the EU's carbon price will be used as a reference point so it raises a whole host of issues that countries have been raising at the WTO though Africa has been a bit less vocal so far. Um, but there is a lot of momentum, you know, within the WTO to get ensure that the framework is 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 set up right. And of course, the WTO and the UNFCCC. At the UNFCCC, there will be the first trade day, so you know the WTO will be there and hopefully um, raising a, a spotlight on on some of these issues. So that's where I would really like to see some greater attention. Um, you know, I think that there's a lot of criticism around carbon markets, but there's also a lot of potential there if we can really get the frameworks right and ensure that you know, resources are not transferred to the eu but they are you know you know they're used to fund africa's green transition uh, as well
1: can i just uh, come in very quickly just on one point I, I think from from the african side and you know the multiple countries and, and industries, industries etc i think there's no doubt that there will be a need to uh, seriously engage with the issue you know we're not naive. I think the world is moving toward more carbon markets. I mean, we we speak of the CBAM here, but China is has has even a more sophisticated tool, etc. Um, and and in fact, all of our trading partners do. I think the issue that people are the reason why people are taking issue with CBAM is because of the transition period. Um, because of the lack of, of investments uh, for preparedness. And, and so we cannot expect countries to transition within three years and countries who have moved at different speeds, with different historical responsibilities. I think the discussion is, is, is really more around that. But the reality shows that I think, of course, we'll need to take those uh, more seriously and integrate them into our policy thinking.
0: Thank you. Um, so, Jody, you mentioned a lot. Um, the role of carbon markets and the potential for African economies and other economies to sell abatement options to to the rest of the world through that. At the same time, as the whole world is trying to pursue green industrial development and industrialization, Africa is also an important source of some of the critical raw materials for this, uh, including rare earths, uh, other minerals. So it, it seems there are a lot of opportunities here. In a world that is trying to industrialize in a green manner or transform its industrial base. At the same time, you know the, the, the past history of commodity booms and, and other such episodes also acts as a cautionary tale as to what um, some of the adverse effects could be, and you can imagine that you know, vast inflows of foreign exchange into into raw materials and in, into carbon markets you know, could cause effects like real exchange rate appreciations that then also adversely affect the possibility of African economies to diversify the industrial base into other sectors and to you know, possible adverse distributional consequences as well. How, how might some of these complex challenges be addressed and what, what are some of the frameworks that could be used? I uh, might start with you, Jody,
2: on that. Thanks. Yeah, I think it's really important that the framework we've got, you know, countries have got the right frameworks in place. And this is again, it comes back to the points that we've been raising, that it's not just about the domestic policy frameworks, but it's also thinking about the regional and international frameworks as well. So if we think about the, you know, the the demand for critical minerals and, and so on, and um, we can see already that there's some kind of lack of coordination really. I don't know how to Phrase it, but if we think about the U.S., there has there have been memorandums of understanding between the U.S. and some of the big suppliers like the Democratic Republic of Congo and and the Zambia. Um, so there've been memorandums of understanding there that you know the U.S. is is is. Looking to kind of support value chain development um, of these critical minerals, so that these countries can kind of move up the value chain and into the production um, of of you know move just from you know raw material but into the processing and so on. But then at the same time, if you look at the Inflation Reduction Act, and I know others have also raised this issue within the Inflation Reduction Act, there's a tax credit that's available to consumers who purchase an electronic vehicle whose batteries contain a certain percentage of critical materials extracted in the US or countries with free trade agreements with the US. And of course, there's only one country in Africa that has a free trade agreement with the US and it, it's it's not Congo or, or the Zambia. So there's kind of a bit of a, you know, a lack of coordination there in terms of, you know, the US and obviously the US is a really big, important player and a big market. And um, so it's important that, you know, we've, we've got to make sure that there's you know if we're we're thinking about value chain development you know we really need to join up all of the dots here um and players like the us you know that made strong commitments to the continent you know should really um resolve these sorts of issues so that you know that countries can move out of just the you know the extraction of, of raw material um There are lots of lessons that can be learned from countries like Chile, for example, other other, um, exporters of of copper, you know, that have set up rainy day funds. Um, But it does all come down to the structure of the value chain again and the types of firms involved, you know, the, the taxation um, regimes and and so on. So you've really got to get down into that that granular you know level of detail there, and it all you know all sorts of issues around the value chain governance then um, you know come into play. Um, but we need to be thinking about these frameworks seriously. I think you know countries like the US, even the EU, you know need to be thinking carefully about how they structure their kind of aid for trade program. There are lots of lessons. You know we've been doing value chain development for for a very long time, so we kind of know what works and what doesn't works but you know it's about making sure that um, we've got all of these dots lined up and just a final point on the afcfta um you know the afcfta does recognize this this potential so the lithium battery and electronic electric vehicle the value chain itself has been identified by the secretariat for promotion within their work programs as well so these efforts should also be supported Pardon?
1: I would completely hundred percent agree with Jody's point on the structure of the value chain. Uh, I mean, Jody raised the question or the, the the point on the U.S., but I would argue the same applies for Europe. The EU Critical Minerals Act that was released a few months ago says that the EU's strategic that the EU would process forty percent of its strategic. Uh, raw materials um, within the EU, um, and so I think a lot of the African countries need to to also think. In fact, I I, I mentioned it to a few ministers at the uh, at the at the Nairobi summit, um, and and they weren't aware of it. Um, and so I think we do need to do some some homework even within Africa, um, and distinguish between the. Um, the signaling on industrialization and the reality of policies um, uh, that are put on paper uh, regarding uh, a critical, critical materials. Um, I think the, the question as well on, on the African side is that I think there is at a high level a recognition that we need to break away from the, um, the commodity exporting tradition um, and, and, and the way most countries have approached that um, in, in recent months is to introduce export bans on raw materials. And the question that I have is, have we actually thought through the implications of that? Um, have we uh, put in place the, uh, the required uh, policy investment frameworks that would allow us to to move from extraction to processing within African countries and, you know, to allow you to export process rather than raw. Um, And I do feel that that thinking needs to to mature a bit more. Um, The companies that are mining are not the companies that will do the processing. So we need a game plan on how we will attract processing uh, investors um and 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 i think leverage also the regional value chain um the lithium the lithium battery discussion is one that i often hear in every single conference on industrialization in africa um but we haven't yet um sat down around the table, uh, if I take countries of SADC, I mean, there's a fantastic opportunity there between the car industry in Africa. I mean, even if you take Kenya with the uh, electric vehicle factory that they opened um connect that to other countries extraction capabilities and uh, etc. So we need we need a stronger game plan I think and and move really beyond the rhetoric of what we would want to do and this ambition and translate that into a plan.
0: Thank you. Changing key slightly, uh, we've talked a lot about uh, low carbon, pathways, reducing emissions as part of global mitigation efforts. The other aspect of climate change is adaptation, which is often the poor cousin of climate policy. And it's particularly important to African economies, given their exposure to climate change and given that climate change for the next few decades is largely locked in because of the stock of existing emissions. A lot of the adaptation discussion focuses around building resilience and that in turn looks at financial solutions and and so forth, and that's perfectly logical and uh, and understood. Just focusing more particularly on trade policy, are there trade policy measures that can be implemented to strengthen the resilience and adaptive capacity of of African uh, economies? Um, i about to start with you, Faten, on that.
1: Yeah, I think the the key one that really comes to mind are adaptation technologies and access to those. Um, and i think within the context of the wto there's been some timid discussions um uh, starting uh, but i think we need to we need to move forward uh, on that I, and i think particular concerns around what happened with with access to vaccines for instance during covid kind of you know it tends to want to make one a bit skeptical about uh, about the possibility of of cracking that nut but I do think that that is a um, a key a key conversation to be had. I think what would also what I feel is also quite useful is um is, is this question on how do we use trade as a lever to you know to to kind of, create a snowball effect on adaptation adaptation investments. Um, and one one um, a tool I feel that could be used a bit more is around um, the procurement. Um, and so I think Jody earlier mentioned the uh, the IRA incentivizing a uh, use of particular uh, particular sources. Um, and I think we can use the same um, to to create that investment uh, investment mechanism uh, through procurement. Uh- We, um, just in Nairobi, um, I co-hosted quite a fascinating discussion around uh, green hydrogen. And we tend to speak a lot to look at green hydrogen. I, I think it's changing. But initially, the discussion on green hydrogen was how do we produce green hydrogen to Africa to export it to Europe to secure its energy? And I think over the last year or so, the conversation has been shifting to say, how do you rather use green hydrogen for local uh, production uh, and then you basically export that hydrogen-embedded goods, so to speak? And, um, and that in itself would have a trickle-down effect on, on, on infrastructure, etc., but um but the question that came up is how can you we, we speak a lot about about finance um that's the dominating discussion currently um but have we looked at trade and procurement as another enabler that would at the end of the day facilitate these this financing that we're struggling to get And so I do think that trade there can can be an important lever and 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 I think by looking by um, I mean, if one looks at the wto more than half of the notified adaptation measures are on on agriculture um and um and i think that's that's the most logical area people tend to look at but i do think we can we can expand it to to other sectors as well without obviously undermining uh, agriculture which remains I mean quite important for africa as well thank you Jody.
2: Thank you. I think there's really, really great points on on procurement there. I think I just echo the points around technology and and just to kind of re- remind everyone that we, there are commitments on technology transfer, you know, under on, on the trips for uh, for developing countries that that are still unfulfilled. And, um, you know, you've got this kind of, you know, you've got th- those commitments. And then at the same time, under the UNFCC, you have a lot going on. In, on, on that side for technology transfer but the two you know are kind of ships you know passing in the night they're not really meeting yet um, but we are hopeful that that will change as I mentioned you know there's a trade day now at COP28 there's going kind to of a, a, a much greater kind of interest in you know thinking about how trade can be mainstreamed within nationally determined contributions and so on so I'm hopeful that we will get to that technology needs assessment part as well I think it's kind of quite disappointing still that we don't have you know a a dedicated focus on this these issues around technology transfer within for example the trade and environmental um, sustainability structure discussions at the WTO is still kind of missing Um, and you know at the same time we've don't have many african members either within that group perhaps to to push this you know the gambia and um, the senegal, senegal for example but you know we're kind of missing the bigger bigger players there as well so but i i think you know i've kind of remained optimistic you know so at, at cop 27 there there has been a greater focus on technology you know promoting climate technology solutions and as we move to cop 28 there is going to be an increased focus as well on food systems and the agricultural agenda as well so you know these issues should become you know you know they should receive greater attention but it's still you know that integration you know how how these issues would then be brought into the multilateral trading system or indeed the afcfta i know that there's been a lot of focus within the afcfta on um, AFCFTA on environmental goods and services, for example, which is also really, really important in this area. Um, but I still think, you know, for the the level of, of transformation that's needed, you know, we know that the continent is one of the, you know, so vulnerable to climate change, you know, there really should be a much greater focus on these issues of, of technology, tech, technology transfer and, and the supportive um, international framework.
0: Thank you. Our time is nearly up, but Maybe just trying to squeeze in the last question with the 13th Ministerial Conference coming up early next year and COP28 coming up soon. sooner than that. Uh, what would be on your wish lists for, for both of those? If you were to name a few things in a few seconds, what would they be, starting with you, Jodie? <laughs>
2: I've got quite a whip a long wish list of course but you know it's it would be good to you know see this article 6 and and the issues around carbon markets high integrity you know the the whether carbon capture and storage you know these are you know just getting that framework really shored up you know I I would really like to see that um, as an outcome at COP um it's also you know a stock take so I think you know, the the fact that, you know, nationally determined contributions, they're going to receive a much You know, all of the focus is the stock take, so the focus is going to be on them. So that gives a really nice entry point as well for thinking about the role of trade and investment. Of course, the WTO are also very active in this area, which is um, really positive as well. And of course, you know, I would love to see, you know, more, I just add three points, you know, more on the the just energy transition investment plans also. Um, And again, you know, the role of trade and investment a bit more clearly articulated um, within those patterns.
1: Yeah, I think to me, two points, I think, at least in relation to trade and climate. um, I think the first recognizing the need for um, differentiated approaches to um, trade, climate related trade measures in order to protect the um, economic capabilities, I would say, of uh, of developing countries um, and, and those in Africa in particular um and the second one is um I hope that the trade day will move uh will not only be focused on supply, uh supply chain uh security um and that that conversation is more focused on um beneficiation uh on on the just transition angle. Um, so to me those with essentially constitute the success if we manage to, to do that.
0: Great. Well, I'm sure there's plenty more that we could discuss on this, but I'd like to thank uh, you both, Atan and Jodi, for a very comprehensive uh, tour d'horizon, as you say in French, but a uh, tour of the question on these matters. And it's been a pleasure having you, and I hope our listeners have also gained a lot and probably have some further questions as well. If you're listening to this podcast, don't forget to share it, like it, and leave a comment. And you can access it on many of your favourite download and streaming platforms. So once again, thank you to Batten um, and jody and to our listeners. We hope you'll join us for our next podcast. Thank you very much.